All right, if you're one of our pirate ship kids, you are dismissed. There you go. <laughs> All right, that is for our elementary kids. We love that time, very specific for them. For those of you who might be a, one of our parents, um, and you should have received some mail a little bit ago, our kids are kind of walking through this process right now, uh, through a discipleship process. We believe here at Creekside Church that a disciple is someone who is growing in, giving to, and going for Jesus. That a disciple, I'll say that again, is someone growing in, giving to, and going for Jesus. In essence, a disciple, someone who's following Jesus, are basically practicing three simple things, grow, give, and go. Grow, give, and go. And for the month of May, our kids over there in their specific environment, they are learning what it means to be a disciple because we believe that even at a very young age that they can learn what it means to follow Jesus by those three simple things, grow, give, and go. So if you're a parent and you have a child that's over there, I hope that you would ask them about that a little bit later on today. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 5. For most of the day today, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there on our back table, and that's your Bible to keep. That is for you. But if today is your first day with us, uh, first of all, let me again welcome you here this morning, but just let you know that we've been in a series going through the book of Acts. We started just about at the very beginning of the year, and so it's probably going to take us a long time to finish this book. We're only in the fourth chapter in about three or four months, but that's kind of where we've been. And as we're kind of starting Acts chapter 5 today, I was reminded about a time whenever I was growing up, I was on vacation with mom and dad, and they say, son, we're going to be gone for just a few hours, we're going to go, and uh, they would get these random invitations from these salesmen, and maybe you know what I'm talking about, but they would get these random invitations to just come hear our pitch about why you need to buy a timeshare. And if you just come and listen to us for just one hour, we will give you an extra day at Disney World, or we will give you an extra day at the hotel, or we'll give you $100 if you just come and listen to a pitch. And I just remember that it was really weird for me growing up as a kid because mom and dad would disappear for a couple hours. They would come back with no timeshare, and we would get an extra day at Disney, or we would get an extra day at the hotel. We would get you know, 100 bucks or whatever. How many of you have ever done this before? And so you walk into the room, you sit and you listen to the sales team. They make this wonderful pitch about why you need to buy a timeshare. They're sitting around their peers. There's coffee. There's donuts. And they tell you this, this wonderful product. They tell you all about this wonderful product, about why you need to make an investment. If you just make an investment into this timeshare, just imagine about five, six times a year, you could come down to Disney with your family and just imagine the wonderful memories that you can make. And you sit through the meeting and you nod your head and you shake and you smile and you say, yes, it would be so nice. But guess what? I have a job and I'm not bringing these kids back for another 10 years. And so you end up leaving these meetings every single time without having made any investment but you're going to get that extra day at Disney. Like, am I right? You're going to get that extra day at the hotel. You're going to get that extra $100. And, you know, I just remember you, like my parents, they would leave with no timeshare, no investment made. And it was kind of like, 
suckers. Like, can you believe that they thought we were actually going to buy a timeshare, that they actually thought we were going to invest? And have you ever had a turkey leg from Disney? Like, I'll sit and listen to anybody make a sales pitch for an hour just for a turkey leg, much less a turkey leg at Disney. But you see, here's the thing. We're not loyal to salesmen. Like, we're not loyal to brands. Like, uh, my favorite restaurant is Chick-fil-A. Like, I love Chick-fil-A. Chris, I'm sorry about this, but if Chick-fil-A were to call me tomorrow and say, hey, Dave, Dave, we know you love us. You're the most loyal customer we got. We know that you're in, you're not even in the silver program anymore. You're in the gold, man. We know that you are, like, you love some Chick-fil-A. We, Dave, we're in a, we're in a tough spot, and we need you to bail us out. I'd be on the other end of the line, I'd say, sorry, I'm just in it for the chicken, all right? Let's just be clear about, let's just be clear about this relationship. I'm just in it for the chicken. I really, you know, if you want to make it, that's on you, but that's not really me. I'm not making an investment into this. I'm just a consumer. I'm just in it for the chicken and the waffle fries. And that's coming from somebody who ate Chick-fil-A twice yesterday. Oh, I'm terrible. Sorry all of my food. All my analogies deal with food, but, but what about whenever it comes to the church? Like, what about whenever it comes to the church? Is there, is there any benefit from being loyal to be, not just being a consumer, but being an investor into the church, into the local church? Is it different? I mean, I love Under Armour. I love them, but I'm never going to bail them out. I'm never going to give them money to keep them afloat. Like, I'll buy their clothes, but that's the, that's the relationship that we have. Like, I'm never going to help them out. I'm never going to make an investment. And what I fear sometimes is the way that we view our relationships with other businesses, with other companies, that's kind of the way that we view the church sometimes. And I'm just receiving something. I'm just a consumer and I really, you know, hey, I, I, I'll do what I can. I'm not, that's our relationship. I, I, I will only go this far. This morning in the book of Acts, what we've seen over the last several weeks, what we've seen over the last several months is the church is starting to form and the Holy Spirit comes down and he's building something incredible that mankind has never seen before and has probably never seen since then. And the church is built, and he's raising up leaders, and we're about to see something that we have not seen yet. Because what we've seen so far is that some people are giving everything. Like, they're selling all their possessions, and like, they're even risking their own lives, putting everything at stake, giving everything they've got to this move of God. And we're about to see something that we haven't seen just yet. We're going to see a family who just kind of is on the edge just a little bit, all right? Like they're looking from the outside, looking at what's going in, and they're kind of consumers. They're not bought in to this new lifestyle just yet. So I just, I want to read that to you for just a second. If you have your Bibles, we're actually going to start in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. If you got it, say, I got it. Good. Me and Steve will read together if no one else has it. If you got it, say, I got it. Starting in verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. You see, we live now about a thousand, uh, a couple thousand years after Jesus Christ has resurrected and, and after he's already ascended. But for them, this was very real. Like this was only a couple months after this. Like it was really happening. And they're testifying about the fact that Jesus is alive and it's changed their lives. And it says that they were testifying and, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses. They sold them and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to any as each had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, we see him all throughout the, Old, uh, the New Testament, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So you see what I mean right here? There's something incredible that's happening. I have never in my entire life sold all of my possessions and brought it just to give to the needy and the poor. If I think I know you the way that I do, you probably haven't done that either. So it takes an incredible work of God. This is the greatest movement of God in all of history. And we're seeing it. They're selling all their possessions, things that we just don't do or see as much here in America anymore. And we see this guy named Barnabas. He does exactly that. He's a wealthy man. He's got a big field. And it says that he sells this field and he brings it to the church. He says, everything that I've made, everything that I've earned off of this, give it to the needy, give it to the poor, give it to the mission of this church. All right? You caught up to speed? Now, this is where things take a little bit of a, a twist, starting in chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property too. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and he brought only a part of it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. You see the difference there, all right? Barnabas, the rest of the church, they're giving all. Ananias and Sapphira, they're just giving a little bit. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this, de this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you've lied to God. Basically, he's saying that no one prompted you to do this. Nobody sent you a bill. Like, you didn't get a bill from the church, but you've done this on your own. You've conspired against the church, and you've sold your land, and you've brought back just a part of it to the apostles' feet, to the church. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, and he breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and they wrapped him up and they carried him out and they buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. 
Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear, no duh, came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Let's pray. Father, as we hear these words, God, I know that in my own heart, Lord, I want to point fingers at Ananias and Sapphira. Lord, I, want to, I just want to gang up on them right now and say, how dare they? But really, if I'm honest, I see that in myself. I'm just like them. And by the grace of God, I'm still here to live and tell about it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning and allow us to hear very clearly from your word. Uh, Not that we're just supposed to tip or not that we're supposed to be guilted into giving towards your mission, towards your good news going around the world, towards your work going around the world, but that we would see with our hearts wide open that this is worth it. That this is the best thing in this life that we could possibly invest into. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. And I just want to go ahead and start by pointing out two two quick things that are kind of obvious, but they're not really obvious. I just want to point out two real quick things. It's going to seem... Like the hero of this story, as they're juxtaposed, is Barnabas, okay? You've got Barnabas, he was obedient, he gave everything. You've got Ananias and Sapphira, shame on them, they didn't give it all. And it's going to kind of look like Barnabas is the hero. And I just want to pause right here and say, Barnabas is not the hero of this story. The hero of this story is the resurrected Jesus Christ. Barnabas knew that he was saved by grace through faith, and he knew that this was something worth investing into. He was investing in the hero of this story, Jesus Christ. He was saved and changed by the good news of Jesus, and that's what conspired him in his heart. That's what compelled him to give towards the mission. Barnabas isn't a hero. He was just doing his his work and being obedient. And the second thing is simply this, is that we don't know the, the motivations of Ananias and Sapphira. We don't know why they gave. We don't know. Like maybe they wanted to be like Barnabas. Maybe they wanted to be like the rest of the church. Maybe, the, maybe Barnabas was just kind of walking around and he had some notoriety. Look, that dude just sold a whole field. He just sold his, everything that he just about had, and now it looks like he's the hero, and so maybe they're trying to be heroes too. But I want to ask you this. Is it really that serious? I want you to wrestle with that this morning. What's the big deal? They sold a field. They brought some of the money. Sure, they didn't give everything, but is it really worth them losing their lives? What's the big deal? Is it really that serious? As I wrestle with that this week, I've come to this realization. That we've got the greatest movement of God in all of history here in the book of Acts. That things are happening. That people are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lives are being changed. It says that added, they were added to their number day by day, those that were being saved. People are giving away to the needy and to the poor. And so whenever we ask ourselves, is it really that serious? Best case scenario, best case scenario, we've got a couple 
that just lied a little. They just told a little fib, all right? They just held on a little, you know, a little bit of the money. That's all that they did. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario. The possible worst extreme here is that you've got a dishonest, lying couple that has moved into the church that very well could water down, if not possibly utter derail, the greatest movement of God in all of history. And so God is protecting His church here. God is protecting His church from imposters. God is protecting His church from trickery, from deception, from fakery. God is protecting His church from consumers. God is protecting His church from consumers. And again, I want to point fingers at them and I want to I say, how dare they? How dare they be lying and not give everything to the church, not give it their all? But man, I see this in myself. And I don't know about you, but you might see it in yourself as well. And I just want to remind us this morning that the grace of God isn't cheap. Well, the grace of God isn't cheap. And whenever we just kind of have this relationship with the church where it's just kind of quid pro quo and it's just consumership and I'm just taking this from you and I'm not going to give anything of my life at all to you, really what we're doing is we're saying that the grace of God is cheap. That our being a part of the mission of God is cheap. That our being a part of the family of God is cheap. That's what we're saying. Man, that's really not cheap at all because it costs God his life. It's not cheap at all. It costs God his life and it's worth everything we've got. The bottom line this morning, if you don't take anything else away, listen, I know this is tough to swallow. I know some of y'all got broke toes already. I'm feeling it myself. Listen, I'm, I'm speaking this to myself. I'm asking myself, am I really giving it my all? But the bottom line here, if you don't take anything else away from this today, is that following Jesus is the investment of a lifetime. That following Jesus is the investment of a lifetime. Let's look in verse, verse 1 there. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 36 Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, what we see here is that Barnabas gave for the glory of God and for the good of the church. That's what he was doing. He was given for the, the, the fame of God. His goal was to make God famous in all the world. That was his goal. But it was also for the good of the church. He believed in the mission, and he said, I believe in this mission, I believe in this vision so much that I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. More than that, I'm going I'm to give my life to this effort. You see, this isn't just about money. Like, we're not just talking about money, right? You guys understand that. This is not a talk about money, but it's no less than a talk about money. It's so much more than that. We say here at Creekside Church that someone who is following Jesus is going to be giving of their time, their talent, and their treasure. Giving of your time in the way that you honor God, the way that you serve your neighbors. But giving also of your talents. Like if God's blessed you with a talent, you are just a steward of that talent. It's not really yours. You didn't create it. You didn't craft it. God gave it to you. You might have made it a little bit better, but you're not the originator of that gift. God has given it to you. 
And so you use your talent. But we also do say that it is about a treasure. That we're just stewards of that. That your job that you have, you didn't do that. God gave it to you. And so we're just good stewards with what God has given us. And see, Barnabas was caught up in what Christ had done for him. Barnabas was caught up in his love for God. He was caught up in his love for the brothers and the sisters that were around him. He was so caught up in the, he was caught up in what God was doing in the world. And so he made an investment into the work. It wasn't about himself. It wasn't a show about himself. He didn't give and then say, hey, everybody, look at me. Look at me, man. Don't see that? Don't see what I put in there? Don't see how they, uh, that family over there, that needy family over there, y'all see how they got good coats? Yeah, that was me. Did y'all like lunch this morning? Did y'all, did y'all like lunch? Yeah, I provided that. I put the spread down. That was me. That's not what Barnabas did. He gave and he backed up from the situation and said, it's not about me. It's about what God is doing in the world. You see, Jesus spoke on this in the book of Matthew, Matthew 6. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. That means if you give of your time or if you give of your talent, or if you give of your treasure and you make it all about you and say, hey, look at me, then there's no reward in that. That our giving is to be between us and God and nobody else. It says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What is their reward? Their reward is just the praise of man. All right, they might get a pat on the back. Hey, hooray, good job. But no more than that. They get no more reward than that. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So Barnabas gave for the glory of God or the fame of God. He also gave for the good of the church. But we also see that Barnabas gave as he was led with a cheerful heart. He gave as he was led with a cheerful heart. Nowhere do we see that he was getting a bill. I got bills. You got bills? You got bills. All right, you got bills. Whenever I get a bill, whether I received a service from somebody or not, like I just had surgery about a week ago and I got that bill, Lord have mercy. And I'm going to pay that bill. And even though this is the most life-changing surgery I've ever had, I'm still going to begrudgingly pay that bill. I give Verizon or AT&T, I give them a bill every single, I get a bill from them every single month. I'm just like, oh, I know I use my phone every single day this month, but guess what? I hate paying this bill. That's not the way that it is with the church. If you ever get a bill from a church, you let me know about it because it's not right. Uh, we We don't do that here. We don't do that anywhere. We're never going to force you or guilt you into giving. We're never going to guilt you into giving of your time. We're never going to guilt you into giving of your talent. We're not going to beg. We're not going to plead with you to give financially. We're not going to do that. We're going to allow God to speak to you in order to do that. And that's the best thing to do. And so Barnabas here was not paying a bill. He was led by the Spirit of God to sell this field and bring the money before the apostles' feet. He was glad to do it. You see, what happens is I, I love Gamecock football. Some of you got jokes. 
It's not exactly the best time in history to be a Carolina Gamecock fan. Not exactly the best time. George is over here. Clemson's over here. What do we do? We just bow our heads in shame and still watch every single week. But what I love to do is I love to go to watch the Carolina Gamecocks play just from time to time, about once a year. That's about all I'm good for, about once a year to go and waste my time driving up there, watching the game, wasting my time coming back. But I like to do this for some reason. I'm an idiot. And see, what happens is I'll pay about $65, $70, and I'll buy that ticket, and I'll go and watch them play. See, here's what's happening in this transaction, okay? As I take the money out of my billfold, and as I hand that to them, however shamed I might be, however much of a waste of a time I know that it might be, I'm saying to the University of South Carolina and their beloved football program, listen, I really do love them, all right? I'm not hating on them. I should probably back off just a little bit, all right? That's my team. What I'm doing is I'm saying to them, it is worth $65 to me to watch you guys play. It's worth it. I want to see this. It's worth it to me. And so whenever we, likewise, here in the church, whenever we say that I'm giving this money to God, what we're saying is it's worth it. It's worth it to me. I see the work that God has done in my life, and I want God to do this work in somebody else's life. I want to see God do this work in this community. It's worth it to me. Now, if I look at the Carolina Gamecocks and I say, yo, listen, all right, we had a bad season last year, seven and six. It's just not worth it for me to give the $65 this year. You know, and they might be on the other end saying, I understand, we understand. But if I don't give them that money, what I'm saying is, hey, it's just not worth it to me. Same way in the church. That if we're unwilling to give of our time, if we're unwilling to give of our resources, if we're unwilling to give of our treasures, what we're saying is to God and to the church, it's just not worth it to me. It's just not where I'm going to put my priorities. And so I know what some of you are thinking right now. I know that you're in your seat and you're like, all right, dude, just tell me, what do I got to give, all right? That's, and that's not really what this is about. That's not what this is about. And I just, I want to read some, some quick passages. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go there. But I just want to show you from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 where Paul talks to the church at Corinth and he says this. He says these words that, that our teach, it kind of teaches that our giving should be free of volition. Meaning that no one should or can force you to give of your time, talent, and treasure. That no one should force you to do that. No one should coerce you. No one should make you feel bad about it. And we never do. It also says that in 2 Corinthians 8 that it should be generous and sacrificial. That it should be, it should be somewhat of a, of a sacrifice. That you might have to cut a lunch out this week. That you might have to cut going to see the movie this week. It might mean that, but it also teaches in 2 Corinthians that, that we should be giving cheerfully, that it's not begrudging, like, oh God, I, I, I don't understand this, that it's not begrudging. And so here at Creekside Church, we like to practice what we preach. We like to practice what we preach here. We ask you to give of your time, talent, and treasure, and so as a staff, as a team, as a church, we practice what we preach. So last week, just last week, what I did was I gave of my time. 
spent hours out in the community just knocking on doors. Hey, we're just in the community looking for anybody who needs prayer. We're just looking for anybody who needs prayer. Spending my time with some of you. Just saying, hey, this is worth it to me. I believe in this. I believe that this is the investment of a lifetime. And so I'm willing to give of my time. There were some who came this morning at 7 a.m. to help set up to see everything that you see this morning because they know that it's worth it. It's worth their time. And some of us this morning that were even here just outside greeting and saying good morning to some of you as you walked in because they see that it's worth their time. Ryan playing, Matthew playing up on stage this morning saying it's worth my talent. This is the investment of a lifetime. But like I said, we like to practice what we preach. You'll notice this morning that we took up baskets in a time of giving. Here's what happens whenever you give to Creekside Church, okay? Here's what happens whenever you give. Some of you are very cerebral. You might want to write this down. These numbers aren't going to be up on the screen. But in a given year, here at Creekside Church, we like to spend about $20,000 going directly back out into this community. Going directly back out to impacting lives. $20,000, $5,000 in an event like the extravaganza. Some of you received that. Some of you participated in that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Just a couple months ago where we sat together as a whole church, where we put on this huge event for this community. And it rained and it poured and it rained and it poured. And some of us, we sat under tents and we got doused on, but we had a good time still doing it. We like to spend about $5,000 a year on events just like that, the extravaganza and love gave. We like to spend about $1,000 a year for missional community budgets, to love on our neighborhoods, to love on the teachers here at Devon Forest Elementary School where we set aside money every single year where we said this is going to go directly towards benefiting them. And we do that in projects like giving a stress-free room to the teachers and to the staff. You should know about a little bit about that this week because of all the things that are going on. We give about about a half of that to putting on cookouts and things like that just marching into communities and saying, we love you. Creekside Church is here for you. Because we see that it's worth it. About $2,500 of what we do here at Creekside Church, it goes directly into making disciples in that room right over there in Creekside Kids. Because we believe in what God is doing in our children. We believe that they can understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we give a portion of that for them to have a fun and safe environment to learn about Jesus. We give another 3000 spent on discipleship environments throughout the year where we come together and say, hey, we don't want anything from you at all. We just want to love on you. We just want to hear you to hear the good news of Jesus. And then last but not least, we send another 6000 uh, Another 6000 of our budget during the year goes to missions organizations that support missionaries here in America and around the world. And so I promise you, we're practicing what we preach. We give. All of our staff faithfully has made a concerted effort. We will say, we believe in this. We believe in what God's doing here in America and around the world and in the city of Goose Creek. So we're going to give financially to see this happen. We give of our time to see that happen as well. So we believe in it. We believe in what God is doing in the world. Do you believe in it? Do you believe in what God's doing here in Creekside Church? Do you believe in the vision that God has for the city of Goose Creek? Do you believe in the vision that God has for our country, for the world? 
for sending missionaries out? Do you believe that it's worth giving your time, your talent, and your treasure? You see, because here's the sad thing. The sad thing about this passage is that Ananias and Sapphira, the fact that they died, that wasn't the worst thing that happened to them. That might sound hard to hear, but that wasn't the worst thing that happened. The worst thing that happened to Ananias and Sapphira was they missed out on what God was doing in the world. They missed it. They didn't get to see it. They didn't see it as worth it. And they missed out on being a part of the greatest move of God in all of history. But Barnabas didn't. He didn't miss out on the greatest move of God in history. Some of you here this morning are still shocked that they died because of a sin. You're still shocked about that, still gripped a little bit of that. But you see, here's the thing, is that they sinned against God and they sinned against the church, but you see, we all die because of sin. We all die because of that. That rebellion that we have in our heart against God, those moments in our, in our life where we look at God and we say, Forget you, forget your ways, I'm going to do what I want. You see, all of us, the Bible tells us that all of us will eventually have to die physically because of our sin. But you see, here's the good news of Jesus, is that Jesus Christ came down to earth, and he put on skin and bones just like us, became vulnerable, and he gave the ultimate gift, his life, and he died on the cross. And you see, we're just like that church in Acts. We're just moving and we're just working and we're just striving towards something all because of what Jesus did for us. That's why we're here. That's why we're here this morning. And so this morning, some of you might be here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And all of this just sounds frustrating. It sounds like it doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't sound like it's worth it. And I promise you that the first step in this process is beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's beginning a relationship with Him. And He will do the work in you and He will show you that this is worth your time, worth your talent, and worth your treasure. This morning as the band comes to play, I just want to extend an invitation to, to two different audiences here this morning. Some of us need to begin a relationship with Jesus maybe for the very first time. Some of us here this morning are just getting ready to possibly take that next step and getting ready to, to move into what it means to be a follower of Jesus where we give of our time, talent, and treasure. Listen, I promise you, like this isn't just a sermon on giving. We've been existing as a church since January of last year. This is the first ever time we talked about money. First ever time we talked about it. But I want you to know that what we do here, it's so valuable. So if you've been on the fence for a little bit and you want to know what it means to, to kind of take that next step, maybe you want to join a service crew, maybe you want to join a missional community, maybe you want to learn what it means to give of your resources here at Creekside. I'll be in the back this morning. I'd love to talk and pray with you. If you just need a pastor to talk and pray with, I'm in the back and we'd love to, to just hear you out. We would love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. But whatever Christ is calling you to be obedient to this morning, just pray that you would be obedient. Let's pray. Father God, as we come here this morning, and Lord, you know in my own heart how I wrestled through this and how I see it in myself. And sometimes I'll secretly give and kind of want some of the notoriety. I want people to kind of look at me and say, hey, he's doing a good thing. 
Or there's times and moments where it's a little hard. And the bills pile up and time constraints happen. And I don't want to. But somehow you have grace for me and you check my heart at the door and say, hey, this is worth it. I've given my life for you. So Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see that this morning. We love you, Jesus. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for your love, for your mercy and your grace. All of this is for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.